What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, here we go with another episode of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is actually episode number 240. And they said it would never last. The topic this week is going to be name dropping. And it stems from my weekend post this last weekend in my blog. And in that post, I talked about meeting John Lennon and how we were at a radio station and I had just a couple of seconds and you know what he asked John Lennon and I said uh what's it like being a fucking genius based on the uh parody song that the National Lampoon had done of him and he said uh, pretty nice actually but uh that got a lot of my readers to chime in with different celebrities that they have met, and I thought, you know what, this is kind of an interesting topic, and I'm a very lucky guy. I'm very much like Zelig, if you can remember the Woody Allen movie, where all of these historical events were taking place, and uh, he was in the background of all of them. Um, I've been very fortunate to meet an awful lot of people, and uh, so I thought I would uh, do a little name-dropping this week and talk about some of the people that I've been fortunate enough to meet or see. And this uh, is only going to be people who I haven't worked with, okay? I mean, that's a whole other podcast, but I'm not going to mention Tom Hanks or Michael Douglas or any of those people. These are uh, celebrities that I just happened to encounter along the way. And they're going to start way back in the 50s when I was a little kid living in Reseda, California, which is a suburb of the San Fernando Valley. And there was a guy we used to see all the time, and he was always dressed really sloppy. And and you go, oh, I, that's the guy on Channel 2 who hosts these local stupid game shows. It was Johnny Carson. Now, I didn't know who Johnny Carson was, but he was a big celebrity to me because I saw him on the television. And, yeah, you know, Johnny Carson was just hanging around. I also remember I was like eight or nine, went to a restaurant that's right outside Paramount, it's no longer there, sadly, called Nicodell's, and I went there for dinner with my grandparents, and sitting at the next table, right across from us, was William Frawley. 
Fred Mertz himself. And I was blown away. And thinking back, I don't think I have ever been as gobsmacked seeing a celebrity in my life as I was that night seeing Bill Frawley. And by the way, he was drunk on his ass. I mean, his face was pink like a Spaldine. And um, still, I mean, for me, I just, I couldn't take my eyes off of him. I did get a chance to see Lucy. This was years later, and I never had a chance to actually meet her, but she spoke at UCLA. And again, this was uh, the later days of Lucy. We were all sitting there, and she comes on, and she goes, yeah, she had that voice by then like this. And, and she starts by saying, you know what? I babysit. All of you fuckers. <laughs> and she went on to uh, to tell some stories about I Love Lucy. And by the way, in a future podcast, I'm going to do a deep dive into I Love Lucy. But that is the future. We moved to Woodland Hills, which is even farther out in the West Valley. And uh, when I was a teenager, there was this character actor who lived in the neighborhood And every so often, we would see him on a show, and it was kind of like, hey, our neighbor is on TV, guy by the name of Telly Savalas. Very nice guy, very approachable. You know, you would see him in the mall, and you'd go, "Uh, are you in anything? Can we see in anything? And yeah, I'm on an episode of The Fugitive this week, or, you know, I'm doing a Perry Mason this week. Like, oh, cool, we'll watch for you. Like our neighbor, Telly Savalas. And uh, he went on to great things. Bob Crane. Remember, he was the star of Hogan's Heroes. Well, Bob Crane lived in our neighborhood. This was before he got into all of the porn um, elements of his life. And he was just kind of a regular suburban dad. And his son and I, I think we're on the same Little League team. Either that or we played each other a lot. But, uh, But Bob Crane would be in the bleachers. He'd be in the stands. And he was one of those parents that was just screaming at the umpire. <laughs> this was before Hogan's Heroes. He was still a disc jockey on KNX in Los Angeles. By the way, one of the greatest disc jockeys ever to crack a microphone, Bob Crane. But, uh, but he became the Tasmanian devil. He just became this, this giant asshole uh, at Little League games. And I'm sure you know the type. Uh, Someone who lived in our neighborhood who I would see from time to time, and in this case, I never got up the courage to talk to him, was Buster Keaton. Yeah, the great Buster Keaton. And I'm saying these names, and it it just occurs to me in the back of my mind that there are some of you younger listeners who are hearing these names going, who, who's Telly, who's Johnny Carson? What are you talking about? Um, but these are people that if you don't know who they are, in many cases, uh, I, I suggest you look them up because you're in for a treat when you see the work done by all of these people. Now, you know Lucy. I know you know Lucy. So there's Buster Keaton, and I had mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but I also met another silent movie star 
And this was at UCLA. I met Lillian Gish. She was like 112 then, but that was really cool. Okay, we'll get back to more of me and my shameless name dropping in a moment. But I want to drop another name on you. It's my new sponsor, Fields. Fields is a premium CBD that is going to help keep your head clear and free, and you will feel your best. Hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and here's how I use it, sleeplessness. I have been taking it now, and it has really helped my sleep. I don't fall asleep in the middle of podcasts anymore. There's no hangover, there's no addiction, and all you do is you just place a few drops of fields under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. They have a CBD hotline that will guide you through the experience and answer all of your questions and help you find the perfect dose. And joining Fields monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order. Hey, and you can pause or cancel at any time. So start feeling better today with Fields. That's F-E-A-L-S. You can become a member today by going to fields.com slash Levine and you will get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Once again, that's F-E-A-L-S ls.com slash Levine to become a member and get 50% off your first order. Plus you get free shipping fields.com slash Levine. So now it's 1969, 1970, and I'm a sports intern at a radio station in Los Angeles called KMPC. One day the general manager comes into the newsroom and says, We have somebody who is going to be doing a movie about radio and wants to spend a couple of days just checking out how a radio station operates. Would you mind if he just follows you around and you pretty much serve as his tour guide and fill him in on how this radio station works? And I said, yeah, sure. Okay. And they bring in Paul Newman. (laughs) This was right after uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So it was that Paul Newman, you know, with the blue eyes, etc. And he was off to do a movie called WUSA. And so he spent a couple of days with me walking around KMPC. And I have to tell you, just the nicest, most down-to-earth guy. I cannot say anything bad about Paul Newman, He was absolutely great. But uh, imagine the look on my face when he brings in this uh, actor and it's, oh, oh, shit, it's Paul Newman. That was pretty amazing. I saw Muhammad Ali. I did not talk to Muhammad Ali, but I saw Muhammad Ali. This was one day probably in the 70s And I was in the valley and I was kind of hungry and I pulled into a Bob's Big Boy, which is a burger chain in Los Angeles and it's been franchised all over the country. You probably have heard of, if not Bob's Big Boy, then Frisch's Big Boy or Krellman's Big Boy, whatever it is in your area. But uh, I walk into Bob's Big Boy, it's like 5.30 in the afternoon and there's Muhammad Ali just sitting by himself at the counter having a big boy combo. 
And I, I was too intimidated, and I didn't want to bother the guy. But, you know, there he is, just like any kind of regular guy, just sitting at the counter at Bob's Big Boy. There is one Bob's Big Boy left that I know of, and there are probably others, but um, this was like one of the original ones, and it's in Toluca Lake, another part of the valley. And somebody who always goes there and always sits at the counter you can probably see him if you show up one or two times, is Drew Carey. You can always see Drew Carey at Bob's Big Boy for those of you looking for a celebrity sighting. I saw John Wayne. David Isaacs, my writing partner, and I had a meeting at Warner Brothers very early in our career. So this was like 1975, 1976. And uh, we had a meeting at Warner Brothers, so we decided to go early and then just walk around Warner Brothers because how often do you have a free pass to get on the lot? And we were walking by a soundstage, and they were shooting The Shootist, which was John Wayne's final movie. And he was standing on the landing of the stage, which is about uh, maybe five feet above the ground. And he was in costume, and he was taking a smoke break. And you look up, and oh, my God, it's like he's 12 feet tall. This is John Wayne. And he smoked. We should have said, stop smoking, for Christ's sake. But uh, we just looked up at him and on. And he looked down at us, and he goes, uh, how's it going, boys? And we were like, fine, Duke, just fine. And that was our... <laughs> Our big John Wayne sighting. Now, I met Woody Allen. This was, again, back in the 70s. And at the time, this was before he had kids that he could abuse. At the time, he would play a clarinet at this club in New York, Michael's Pub. And it was before... He became this huge sensation. I mean, after a while, uh, going to Michael's Pub became a deal and you couldn't make reservations for four months in advance, that type of thing. But when I saw him, there were just a bunch of people sitting around and he was part of the jazz band. And at um, the break... And I just walked up to him. You know, there was nobody standing there, no one asking him for autographs and everything. And, I, you know, I was a big fan of his movies and a big fan of his writing and just sat and just talked comedy writing with Woody Allen for like about 10 minutes. Very accessible, very easy to talk to. Uh, but, of course, years later, going to see Woody Allen at Michael's Pub became a thing. And all of a sudden... Um, it was a, a big Megillah. Now, you know that I love Elizabeth Montgomery. I have mentioned this several times in my blog. I have huge crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. I only got a chance to see her one time. And that was late in her life, probably. I don't remember the, the year, but I'm guessing this was sometime in the 80s. There used to be a restaurant in Santa Monica called uh, the Maryland Crab House. And they were like the 
Maryland crab houses in uh, in Baltimore and in Maryland, surprisingly enough, where they had the um, you know the seasoned cracked crabs and there was butcher paper on the table and you got a wooden mallet and you cracked the crabs and you sucked out uh, the meat from the claws and that type of thing. So there was a place like that in L.A. And I was eating there one night with a few couples and I look over at the next table. Oh, my God, there's Elizabeth Montgomery and Robert Foxworth. And she's cracking those claws and scrunching up her face and slurping down the beer. And it's not exactly the way you you hope to see uh, somebody you're in love with. But uh, didn't change a thing. I was still in love with her even then. It was really kind of fun because you don't normally see Elizabeth Montgomery, you know, with juice rolling down her arm, that that type of thing. The other uh, person from Bewitched who I met was David White, who David White played Larry Tate. Come on, you Bewitched fans certainly know that. Uh, Met him back in the 60s when I was... uh, working at Wallach's Music City, which is a record store in the Topanga Plaza. Got a chance to meet him. Uh, Roger Miller would come in from time to time. He was a pretty cool guy. i tell you who was not a cool guy, and again, I've mentioned this before, Neil Young. Neil Young was a dick, and we had listening booths. I mean, that was the big attraction of Wallach's Music City was you could take an album into one of these glass booths and listen to it without having to buy it. And these glass booths basically served as the storefront. And the one rule we had was back then when it wasn't legal, you can't smoke marijuana in one of the listening booths. And the prime offender of that was, you guessed it, Neil Young. Four or five times, I would have to throw him out of the listening booth. Man, be cool, man. It's like, get out. You've been warned. This is like the third time this has happened. Get out. But uh, he screwed over a a former girlfriend of mine. I have no love lost for, for Neil Young. There's a restaurant in Los Angeles... It says, you know, you you see celebrities at restaurants. And yeah, I guess if you really want to see big time celebrities, uh, you know, you go to Spago, you go to some of these very upscale places. But there's also a lot of funky places where people go. And one such place, which I really recommend, is called the Apple Pan. It's been here for centuries probably and uh, it's just a counter it's just one horseshoe counter and they have great burgers and fries and pies and that type of thing but if you're going to sit it's going to be at this counter and you take whatever seat is available and usually you're standing behind people because uh, it's so crowded and so popular so one day I'm having a burger and empty seat and the guy slides in and I take a look and they're like, oh my God, it's Warren Beatty. It's Warren Beatty. Also, very accessible, very nice guy. Now, it's closed, so this is not going to do you any good, but the best place, if you want to 
spot a celebrity. The best place, I think, in Los Angeles was this little nondescript gym in Brentwood, California called Pro Gym. Very no frills, okay? There were no TV monitors. There's no juice bars, that type of thing. Uh, You came in, you did your workout, you left. Pro Gym was owned by Ryan O'Neill. And uh, I think Pro stood for Patrick Ryan O'Neill. So he was there all the time, as were uh, a lot of his friends. And Ryan O'Neill could be, when he was in a good mood, could be really, really fun. You could ask him anything. Uh, He did a very nice thing for me. He uh, did a reading for me. I had a reading of my very first play, and uh, he agreed to be in it. And I sent him the script, and he called the house to say that he would do it. And he got my wife on the phone, and she goes, hello? And he says, yes, is is Ken there? And she says, yes, who's calling? And he says, Ryan O'Neill, you know, from Love Story. (laughs) Well, he was around uh, quite often. But uh, Neil Simon used to work out there. Remember, for the last 20 years of his life or so, Uh, He lived in Los Angeles. You always think of Neil Simon as just New York, New York, but he lived in Los Angeles. And uh, he and I, uh, we weren't friends. I I can't say that we were friends, but we became acquaintances when he was casting a play. There was an actor who had been on my series, Almost Perfect, Matthew Lesher, who was up for one of the roles. And um, And I happened to bump into Matt, and he had mentioned that. So the next time I saw Neil, which was a couple of days later, I introduced myself, and I said, I know Matt Lesher is up for this role. This guy can do anything. He's fantastic. He was great on our series. I really recommend him. Well, they hired Matt, and thank God he was as great as I said, and Neil thanked me. And from that day on, you know, hi, how are you? What are you working on? We talked a lot about his book. At the time, he was writing the uh, second volume of his autobiography. It was kind of neat to hang out with with Neil Simon. Uh, Jack Lemmon was there like once or twice, And I don't necessarily know why, because I never saw him work out. You know, he was like in this jumpsuit, and he would just kind of stand around for like 15, 20 minutes. It's not like he was just waiting two minutes for somebody to go. And um, again, I don't know why he was just standing there, because I never saw him work out. Uh, Gary Shandling used to work out. He, I knew. He was very funny. Sally Field would work out. And, you know, there are some celebrities, like I said, that are accessible. And then there are others who are very standoffish. And Sally Field was one of those. And Kate Beckinsale was another. And it's not like you went up to them and they said, I'm working out. Could you leave me alone? Okay. Um, You didn't have to go up to them. They just gave off a vibe that said, don't bother me. 
And one of the nice things about that particular gym was that was understood. So if someone didn't want to be bothered, you just gave them a wide berth. And Sally Field was one of those. She was very intense. Um, And we used to call Kate Beckinsale the ice princess. But the worst was Faye Dunaway. Oh, my God. Faye Dunaway was not just intense. She was scary. And again, it's not like she chewed anybody out. It's not like she did anything that was really appalling. She just kind of went about her business. But scary. (laughs) That's the only way I can describe it. Um, Cindy Crawford used to work out in the gym. There was one time when I was on the treadmill. Next to me was Cindy Crawford. Next to her was Jennifer Garner, who also is a sweetheart, by the way. And uh, and I'm thinking to myself, this is like that feature in Sesame Street. You know, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things don't belong. It's like, what am I doing with Cindy Crawford and Jennifer Garner? Stacy Williams was there. Stacy Williams, okay, don't feel bad that you don't know this name. Stacy Williams was a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. Very sweet, and she used to work out at the gym. And, you know, when you go to the gym two times a week or more, not me, two times a week was enough, uh, you know, you see the same people, and you pretty much kind of establish your own little community. So I was friends with Stacy Williams. And now you flash forward and there was one week when a Frasier episode that David and I had written was being filmed at Paramount. And so David and I were on the floor with the rest of the writers. And there was like a buzz among the writers like, oh, my God, there is this absolutely stunning woman sitting in the front row. And uh, so... I turn around and it's Stacy. And Stacy sees me and waves to me. And so I come over and she leans down and gives me a big hug and a big kiss. The rest of the Frasier writers are like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was that was one of my great moments on Frasier. Angelina Jolie was at the gym from time to time. And you see her without makeup and with all of the tattoos. Kind of skanky. My favorite celebrity at the gym was Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin would come in on Sunday morning. And he was, I I know he's really kind of bipolar and has this tremendous temper. We never saw it. Uh, Me and my trainer. and, And he would joke around with us. And the great thing about Alec is you could say, do your Tony Bennett impression. Do the sweaty meats guy do your different impressions and and he would do them really funny great one-liners uh alec baldwin was absolutely our favorite harrison ford would come in i remember before he was doing a uh, indiana jones movie he would come in <laughs> pretty regularly and and he would like practice with the whip 
So that was always kind of fun to watch uh, Indiana Jones practice with the whip. His wife, Calista Flockhart, was there, and I spoke to her once. Um, I had worked with an actor who had been on uh, Ally McBeal. This actor was just a giant pain in the ass. And so I asked her, um, what was he like on your show? And uh, it turns out he was there too. Who knew? Uh, Denise Richards was also there once or twice as pretty sweaty as she was normally. Um, Okay, Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters, one of my idols, one of my comedy idols. I went to a book signing for a disc jockey friend of mine, Gary Owens. This was at Dutton's in the Valley. A lot of these things take place in the Valley, not Hollywood. You just go to the San Fernando Valley. And uh, it turns out that Jonathan Winters was a very good friend of Gary Owens. So it's before the event, and Gary and Jonathan and I are talking. And Jonathan is, you know, kind of, you know, quiet. You know, he's not on the way, you know, you see him when he performs. And this writer friend of ours comes over and just starts going into shtick, just trying to really impress Jonathan Winters. This is funny and that's funny. And Jonathan just listens to him very quietly for about two, three minutes. And then very gently, he puts his hand on the writer's wrist and he said, that's why Dean left Jerry, you know. And that shut up the writer and gave me one of my biggest laughs ever. Jonathan, by the way, spoke at the event. And off the top of his head, you just saw the genius that he was just riffing off of uh, Gary Owens and uh, his, <laughs> his World War II service and just all this booba mice about being in submarines and uh, the Germans. And it was just uh, amazing because it was all off the top of his head. And of course it was absolutely brilliant. Um, Robin Williams, I mentioned I had been in improv classes with. Now I'm going to go back. Uh, I mentioned Johnny Carson and how a lot of you might not know who Johnny Carson is. Well, if you don't know who Johnny Carson is, you sure are not going to know who Jack Parr was. Jack Parr was the predecessor. Jack Parr uh, hosted The Tonight Show for a number of years back in the 50s and very early 60s. And I got a chance to meet Jack Parr of all places in the elevator at NBC 30 Rockefeller Plaza. It was a Sunday and I'm, I'm friends with Bob Costas, and he was hosting the pre- and post-game show, so invited me to come watch. So I go to NBC on a Sunday, and I get in the elevator, and there's Jack Parr. That was, that was pretty amazing. I, I also had a crush on uh, Diane Lane, and um, uh, my crushes are not secret. <laughs> well, my family knows we were at a hotel in New York and and she was there and my kids gave me 
such shit as like, oh, she's getting in the elevator. Get in the elevator, Dad. No, I did not um, make that much of a fool of myself. And finally, I'm going to mention Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart had a kid who was my son's age. And my son was in a basketball league. He was seven, eight, something like that, at the Westwood Rec Center. And so every Saturday, there would be these basketball games. And so Rod Stewart would show up at the Rec Center to watch the games. Now, oftentimes, stars will dress down uh, I've, I've seen Tom Hanks at Starbucks and, you know, he's wearing a floppy sweatshirt and a baseball cap, that type of thing. Well, Rod Stewart shows up wearing this giant hat. I mean, you can see this hat from outer space. And uh, the parents are sitting up in the bleachers. And he turns to me and says, how does this game work? And so I scooted over close to him and explained basketball to him and explained what was going on. And so I kind of became friendly with Rod Stewart over basketball. And uh, those, those are the ones I can remember I'm sure there were a lot more. Oh, yeah, there's one more I remember. Stephen Sondheim. I can never forget Stephen Sondheim. Um, this was like 2004 or five, and I was going to help out on um, a musical that needed work. And so there was a, a workshop of it in uh, New York. It was a Sunday afternoon workshop. And who gets off the elevator but Stephen Sondheim. And he even sat right next to uh, my daughter, Annie, which was one of the thrills of her life. But, uh, yeah, a chance to see Steven Spielberg watching a really bad show. So there you go. Those are my celebrity sightings. That is my name dropping for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Let me drop a few more names. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce, and Jason Miller. I shall be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. Please, please get vaccinated. Okay, bye. Hollywood and the Vine.